Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for checking out this special podcast series where we've paired up with our friends at the television show Guiding Flow to share guests and continue the conversations and discussions that happen around each episode. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, Turtle Box Audio, Costa Sunglasses, Traeger Grills, and our friends at Orvis Fly Fishing. When people hear the word conservation, there are a lot of things that come to mind. For some, it's a political buzzword that really doesn't mean anything more than a little good old-fashioned virtue signaling. For others, it's a term linked with intimidating science that goes over most everyday people's heads. Yet for many of us, it is a topic that we believe can help protect the amazing places that we love. So how do we depolarize the topic of conservation and help get others on board? Recently, I sat down with some of my friends in Louisiana to discuss how we can better push the ball forward and raise up advocates for our fisheries. In this podcast, I'm joined by Lucas Bissett, Executive Director of the American Fly Fishing Trade Association, Kyle Schaefer of Soulfly Lodge in the Bahamas, and Benny Blanco of Guiding Flow TV to have a roundtable discussion concerning conservation. We hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. Well, hey guys, I'm excited to start this podcast and man, we've had a great couple days here in Louisiana, just finished up in an, an awesome dinner here at the shed, a crawfish boil, and really been able to bring together a great group of guys to be able to fish, share some food, share some laughs, and also talk about some important things going on with sea level rise in the environment. Before we get into all that, I'd love for everybody that's sitting on the podcast just to give a quick introduction to who they are and why they're here today. So we'll start with you, Benny. My name is Benny Blanco. I'm a guide in South Florida, but I also host a TV show called Guiding Flow TV. And we're all here with um, one common goal, which is to, to shed some light on these major issues. And I'm real thankful to have these two gentlemen sitting in front of us. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Lucas Bissett uh, from right here in Louisiana. I'm really excited to have these guys here on my boat fishing. And I'm also the owner of a nonprofit here in Louisiana called Anglers Bettering Louisiana's Estuaries. Uh, I've been trying to give back to the community as much as I can. My name's Kyle Schaefer. I came down here all the way from Maine. To On his bike? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just rode With a flannel shirt. <laughs> yeah, I missed all the fishing. I just arrived five minutes ago, unfortunately. <laughs> no. um, but I'm a fly fishing guide up in uh, the southern coast of Maine. Um, and psyched to be here talking about these, uh, these big issues and I'll be, uh, united together by them. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things as we kind of kick this off, I think, you know, when we talk about environmental problems at the local level, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of details that go into exactly what is happening in your own backyard. And I think all of us agree that it's really important for anglers and for people who just love who are going to be great neighbors, great citizens in their, their counties and cities and states that want to see economic flourishing because people want to visit and see the beaches or see the forests, the state parks. Um, and at a local level, there's a lot of details and, and nuance to what's happening. Uh, but uh, if we were to take that, rather than looking into the specifics of our local areas, which we'll talk about a little bit more, if we were to zoom out to 20,000 foot view and look down, what is that big picture issue that we're seeing across the board, no matter if you're in Maine, you're in Louisiana, you're in South Florida, or the Florida Panhandle? Sure. Well, there's, there are issues that affect all of us that, that should unite us. And that's what the reason we're here. Um, I feel pretty honored to have partnered th through the show with Costa Sunglasses to bring in some of the top professionals from around the country who happen to also ironically be Costa professionals. Um, who are speaking up in their respective areas, who are, sh you know, showing leadership and setting the right example for the future generations. And um, so that we can bring us all together, there's, there's a few issues. You know, there's sea level rise and climate change, which affect everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but the, but from a community perspective, there's, there's a bigger issue, and, is, and that is that we've been separated. And um, we've, we've felt like the Louisiana issues are Louisiana issues and the Florida issues are the Florida issues and Kyle's alone in, in Maine fighting for his issues. And the reality is we are one community and that's the effort here. And that's why I'm, I feel pretty honored to have these guys, your voice hunter, our ability to reach a greater population of people so that we can teach them that we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. Well, Kyle's alone in Maine because he's the only one who lives there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, I think, I think what we're talking about when we're talking about local stuff a lot of times is those are the symptoms, not the problem. 
And the 20,000 foot view is really the problem. And that's going to be climate change and things that are global in nature. And that's what mm -hmm. makes us in this all together is that it's affecting us no matter where you are, because it is planetary. And it's one of the reasons why Benny talks about getting us all united and pushing in one direction. It's, it's so important because, you know, if, if we were just to focus on one area and one spot, you may be able to get some movement there. And Florida is a good example. You know, water quality issues united a lot of the fishermen there, and it's been a great movement. But in order for us to truly get this thing licked, in order for us to truly make a difference, we all have to push in the same direction. And mm -hmm. so that's why it's important that we come together through all of these things. And I think it's interesting, too, because we all, like all of us chatting here over the past couple of days, we all have something that really stands out from our fishery, whether it's a fact or, or just a glaring a glaring change that we're all seeing and going through. And, um, you know, mine is the rise in, in uh, our water temperatures. You know, down here in Louisiana, what really hit me with, with Lucas is, is how quickly they're losing land to erosion and water rising. And... You know, and it's all just a function of of weather changing and um, some of the things that we can all we can all relate to. But, you know, I think that's one interesting thing that we can all kind of think about is like, what is the local thing happening to us? You know, what is the one what is kind of that one alarming thing that really mm -hmm. that really stands out? Well, there's there's also a disconnection because while while it's pretty obvious to us because we've we've been close enough to the science to understand it. And so two plus two equals four to us. But a lot of the population is so disconnected from the science that they, you know, they write off some of the issues they're seeing, some of the changes they're seeing to other things. Mm. Um, but if you look at it from a 20,000 foot big picture view, it's very obvious. Mm -hmm. And so we have this connectivity that we're trying to create. We have this big picture view we're trying to create, but we also have this education component that is crucial for us to getting to that point where we can connect our communities. Mm -hmm. And so podcasts like this, shows like this, where we can connect regional communities, but also reach outside of those boxes and teach people who just want to know what's going on. That's pretty epic. Yeah. I think when I talk to a lot of people about conservation, you hear a lot of people refer to other outdoorsmen or women who are not taking the right steps as they engage in the outdoors. But what we miss to your point, Benny, I think too, is this huge, massive amount of the population who they're, they're not out practicing incorrectly they're not out over harvesting they're not out burning shorelines they're not out they're in the city they're not engaged with the outdoors in any meaningful way and I think as the conversation what Benny was saying of trying to connect other outdoorsmen together is you know there's a huge world outside of just the outdoor community that needs to learn and understand this is what this is and this is why it matters I'm curious what you guys think too about how do we get people who maybe they don't fish, maybe they don't hunt, how do we get them to see the significance and the importance of some of these environmental factors today? Well, that's actually what I spend a lot of time doing is, you know, I, I focus a lot of my energy on trying to get middle America to understand what's happening on our coasts. It, you know, everybody is going to experience fishing or fish in a different way. Some people through a plate, you know, having dinner, some people on being a boat or are from shore. And so it's really important in the way that we communicate. And I think the best way to communicate is, is through podcasts and like this is, is storytelling. Because what resonates with a lot of people is hearing your experience and your passion. And so when you give the opportunity to someone to hear what it is that makes this place special to you, it's something that can rub off on somebody who may have never experienced it or, or hasn't to this point. Mm. And that's how a lot of us have learned over the years through many things, not just fishing or hunting. I mean, there's plenty of experiences where you hear someone talking about cooking, cooking a dinner, a meal, and you're like, wow, I really want to experience that because of the way you talked about it. And so storytelling to me is a, is a major component in the way that we start to uh, you know, get people who aren't you know, given the opportunity or can afford the opportunity to come down here or any other coasts and start to understand just how important mm -hmm. these places are. We're, we're also right now at a, a very unique advantage because um, COVID created this quarantining issue last year. We're still battling with, obviously, and everybody's witnessed it. We, we talked about it on the boat yesterday, Kyle, or today, how we've seen a huge influx of traffic on the water and outdoors in the woods because people can't go to baseball games as much as anymore. They can't go to the malls anymore as much. It's difficult to go to a restaurant anymore. And for right, rightfully so, the safest, most logical place to be is out the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so we've got this new 
you know, group of people, this new demographic who are just experiencing it for the first time, it's really important that we all reach out and educate them as to what's going on and how they can help us fix these places and keep them the way they are. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it, it goes back to what are we passionate about? What moves us? You know, and obviously for all of us sitting around this table, it's, it's fly angling. And, and, uh, and, you know, there's other things too in our pursuits that are being affected. And I think that's one big thing that, you know, whether it's whether we're talking to other fly anglers or whether it's a skier, or whether it's, you know, somebody, we're talking a lot about marine systems here, but, you know, having closures in August on your trout stream in, in Montana and Colorado and, mm. you know, having shorter seasons, noticing that the wind's blowing harder throughout the season. I, I lived on a farm last year and the farmer's like, I have, you know, I mean, he works outside for eight months of the year and he's like, you know, year after year, I've noticed that the wind is blowing harder and harder and it affects his grows and it affects mm -hmm. his crops. And, you know, and so it's like all of us have something, whether, you know, we're, we're here talking fly fishing, but there's so many other, so many other effects that are really ringing um, true in a lot of other people's ears. And that segues really well into one of the main points we wanted to cover tonight, which is how do we bring people together and, and not just in a like, you know, thumbs up kind of, you know, yep, cool. We're all in this together, but how do we actually meaningfully bring people together across different disciplines, not just fly fishing, not just fishing, hunting, fishing, hiking, skiing, uh, people who just want to go to the park and walk their dogs. And I mean, the whole spectrum, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on how do we try to work across those boundaries? I mean, it, I think, uh, I think all change. I know all change begins with education. I mean, no one's going to just one day stand up and say, all right, I'm going to be carbon neutral. It it's, has to do with some form of education. And a lot of times it's, it's many layers of, of, of education. Um, and education can come in many forms. Education can be us teaching people right now on this podcast, or it can be us setting the right example on a TV show or on our daily lives. And so it starts with education. And that's how you get more people to do what you do. Um, I've already seen that change, which in just three years I've been doing this show. Um, every single day almost, I'm at a ramp and, and a child or, or someone of a younger generation or even my generation comes up and either thanks me for what I'm doing or recounts a, a story that they recently saw of someone picking up plastic or you know something that they did to, to effectively release a redfish for the first time. It, it's, it's those examples. It's setting that example. It's educating. That's going to make the change. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think one of the things that I find to be spiritual almost about an outdoor experience is the fact that you're tapping into something that you almost can't understand. It, it's a visceral response that you're having, almost like tapping into an, an ancestral you know force. Mm -hmm. And I know that's kind of philosophical, and that's not really my style. But for now, I'm gonna I'm gonna dance around the campfire. But it's it's one of those things that whether you're hiking, whether you're hunting, whether you're fishing you're getting back to something that you maybe even didn't know you needed to connect to. And once, <clears throat> excuse me, once you make that connection, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what brought you there. It's, it's what keeps you there. And so to me, that's how that, that connection you were talking about, how do you cross those boundaries? Those boundaries to me happen spiritually inside of you whenever you realize that you just disconnected from the world that you needed to and got into the world that 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 has been drawing you and you just didn't even realize it i know it's philosophical but i'm just telling you that everyone's having that experience whether they know it or not for sure and there's and there are places special places on the water that 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 connection is really prevalent you know and you can feel it immediately and sometimes it takes someone to experience the outdoors a couple times for them to actually really fully realize you know what they just experienced um but you, but that's a great point you know, in order to get people involved, in order to get people to make those changes, they have to experience the outdoors. And I think as an industry, as a community in this industry, we have a responsibility to the outdoors, to the places that we love, the water, the, the woods, any, any places that we love, to educate those around us, to share with those around us, and to promote usage and access. For sure. And, you know, and I mean, I think 
Lucas is dead on with, you know, his his philosophical spiritual don't, tangent. Don't don't tell me that I'm dead yeah, on no. because you know that means I'm gonna <laughs> say it more. Spiritual campfire. I've seen I've seen him around a campfire. No, no <laughs> doubt. I mean, I think you know our connection to the outdoors is bigger than all of us. I mean, mm-hmm. why are we drawn to it? We can't put words on it, and every time we talk about it, we describe it differently. It's just something you can't explain, you know. And and I think you know we're talking about how how you how do you enact this change, and I think it's an intimidating thing for a lot of people and there's a barrier and there's a hurdle and it can be scary for a lot of people you know it's it's and unfortunately it's polarizing but you know i think a reminder for everybody that it's it is okay to be an imperfect advocate or an imperfect you know standing up and i mean I, I flew here you know i mean i mean we all traveled here we're out burning gasoline in a boat today but but you know, and that's, oh, that's okay. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that we all have to be perfect and make change overnight. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. let's make, you know, let's, let's move in the right direction. Yeah, you know, this the, is, this is a big ship to move. That's a great point. Uh, that's a very important point to make. Everybody's connection to the outdoors is different and everybody's voice that they, they decide to use to, to, to promote the outdoors and to protect the outdoors is different mm-hmm. and no one is wrong. Um, you know, uh, Lucas might dedicate his entire life to saving Louisiana and, and educating people. And his best friend might decide that his contribution is to recycle plastic or to not use plastic, you know, and, and everyone is different. Um, I think it's important that just everyone understands that they have a responsibility, whether it's small or large, and that they should do everything they can to maximize that. Yeah, and I think when we talk about trying to help people get connected across different disciplines, a big part of that is whatever tribe, if we want to use that language to stick with Lucas's spiritual dance fire, um, <laughs> dancing. Freud over here. Uh, <laughs> um, whatever tribe you're in, I think, too, it, it, it takes us, you know, kind of combating some elitism, some ego that people tend to have to say, my quote-unquote thing is better than your thing, and I'm more legit than you, and um, or, or that, that thing that, you know, there's every angler desires to be on the water and no other boats on the water. I'm sure every skier, I don't ski. It's obvious, <laughs> but you know, I sure think it's obvious for you. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like an overweight heron over here. If I tried to ski my knees would snap immediately. <laughs> But, you know, I'm sure that they feel the same way, you know, man, there's so many people on this mountain and, that, and, and we can have conversations about, you know, limiting access or quotas or that's a, that's a whole nother rabbit trail. But I think one of the things that can happen is we get so caught up in who's better than who or how things used to be that we miss what can we do now and what do we have in common? And what we have in common is we all live on this planet. And we all want this planet to be livable and enjoyable. And I think that's one of the things, too. It's funny, you know, one of the reasons we're together is because of Costa. And um, you said polarizing, you know, it was a (laughs) polarized lens. But how do we depolarize um, environmental conversations? Because they tend to be kind of polarizing with people. Well, they they tend to be made polarizing. Like that's... Mm. You know, I don't want to say it's by design, but I mean, there is some 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 forces at work there that try to keep us divided. And and I'm not going to get uh, all conspiratorial here because you know I can only handle one thing at a time. And so I'll stay spiritual. The reality is that <laughs> the reality is that when you're on the water, you're not a Democrat, you're not a Republican, you're an angler. And that's the thing that I think we can all focus on when we're outdoors is to say, this has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with experience. And as long as you keep it at that level, I think we'll find common ground that we're looking for in order to make sure that we're all working towards the same goal mm-hmm. is that, you know, there is no politics out there. There is no the fish don't know politics. They know eat, sleep, live. Mm-hmm. And when you're out there, you get to be as close to that as you will ever be. And that's important to make sure that we remember that when we're experiencing it, because the reality is, is that if you really break it down for what it is that keeps you going back. It has nothing to do with what got you there. Mm-hmm. And it's what, it's what is like the most important part for me. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think depolarizing these issues is, is a tif- difficult situation because everywhere, like you just you so eloquently put, everywhere, everywhere you look, there's polarization. Mm-hmm. You know, people want to be better, people want to be part of a certain group. Fishing is definitely no exception. You know, you, you go fish where I fish and there are clicks and, you know, there are guys who think fly fishing is better than bait fishing and 
bait fishing is better than that fishing and I'm better than you because of this. And, and that's, you know, all BS. You know, we, we are all the same. Deep down inside, we are all just fishermen who love to fish and love the water and would have completely different lives if we never found the outdoors. Mm. And so I think just generally, we have to be more welcoming to everyone, whether we're fishing or whether they're advocating. Um, we have to take every opportunity to educate people about conservation as much as we need to educate them about fishing. Um, and I think that's a, that's a huge cultural change that we're asking for, but we're at that precipice now. We, mm. we have to make those changes. And a perfect example is um, through this show and this efforts and these fights, and these advocacy work I've done over the last five years, I've had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with the older generation of legends, you know, Stu Apt and, and Lefty Cray and Flip Pallet and Chico, and, and I've come to know them well. And they've gone through this cycle in their life where they lived it thinking the resource would never end, that it was limitless, right? Uh, and, and, that, and that nothing they could do would ever affect it. And then they came to the very harsh realization that it was mm. very limited and that everything they had done to that point was damaging to the, the resource. And it, and it was very difficult for all of them. They, they talk about it, you know, romantically about how, you know, it was a very difficult part of their life. But now they're completely dedicated to doing what we're doing right now, which is educating. And because they didn't do a good enough job when they were in their prime and they didn't educate those around them about what was going on, they weren't the, they weren't the voice for the water and, and the land that we want to be right now. There wasn't enough people educated to make change. Mm. And so I don't want to be their age looking back thinking I didn't do enough I didn't speak loud enough so we're at that precipice right now hmm. and I'll be damned if I have to have that conversation with my grandkids one day that I didn't say enough or mm -hmm. I didn't do enough that's not gonna happen yeah absolutely I mean I'm having my first kid in you know almost a month and a half two months now you know so I'm thinking a lot about that stuff mm -hmm. and you know and that was a big thing that I was thinking about even you know as my wife and I were deciding to have children is just like thinking about the world that we're bringing them into and you know um it just yeah you know that we're going to be going through a lot of changes mm -hmm. you know whether we completely stop emitting carbon tomorrow you mm -hmm. know our world is going to continue to change and there's just a lot of but you know i it came back to for me it was like i want to put another person on this planet that that cares and that's willing to make a difference and like benny i just you know i want to mm -hmm. i want to do the right things and and uh and teach that next generation yeah, I think that's, you know, w with kids, you know, I have two kids, Benny's got three, three, three yeah. daughters. And, you know, when you, when you have kids too, I think that one of the things that it, it conditions you to do is it in, in that you take your eyes off yourself and you're not thinking as much about yourself and your experiences and catching fish. You're thinking about your kids and their experiences and what you hope that they'll get to be able to do one day. And I think that speaks to an issue across the board in, in what we're discussing. And that's, you know, it, we have to train people, educate people to take them out, their eyes off, just off themselves. You know, I think that's, a, you know, an important thing about, okay, maybe you did catch some fish today. Maybe you did see a decent bit of white-tailed deer. Maybe you did, um, maybe you are a better, more experienced angler or a better captain. But is your only thing when you, when you leave this world is all that you're going to leave behind a bunch of tournament plaques? Is it going to be a bunch of photos of dead animals you hunted or did you actually help people understand what you're doing and I think that's a big piece of like how do we take our eyes off ourselves and pass it to the next generation Lucas I know that that's a part of what you're doing with the nonprofit. I'd love just to get practical right now um, and a lot of people that listen to this podcast are thinking that way how do we how do we pass this along to the next generation to help them do better and learn better yeah, I mean, a good example of that is is here in Louisiana. You know, we've been working on a what we call the Black Mangrove Project now for four years. Um, and, you know, it, to me, it started out as an opportunity to just help restore the coast that I, I love and work on. And like you said, to leave a legacy the best I could. It didn't have to have my name on it, but it had to, I had to leave my mark. And through that adventure is what I'll call it because I've loved every moment of it. Uh, I realized that there was an opportunity to engage the next generation. And it wasn't just my son. It was other people's kids and people who lived within 10 minutes of this coast who had never been there. And so through the local high school, we were able to get those kids growing black mangroves from seeds, 
for 18 months in their greenhouse, which meant they got to take care of the mangroves. They got to see them grow. You know, it's something that you just don't get very much anymore with today's technological world we live in mm-hmm. of actually physically watching something grow. It's just not an experience that a lot of people get. And so you get that sense of achievement, you get that sense of responsibility. And then from there, getting them out there to let them plant those, those plants, it's an amazing opportunity for them to ride in a boat for the first time, for them to, to feel soil in their hands for the first time, to have that visceral experience that we were talking about and to watch that spark light in their eyes for the first time. It's like being a guide, right? I mean, every time you get to put somebody on their first fish, you get to relive your moment every time. Mm-hmm. So to watch them engage and, and really become part of the outdoor world is such an amazing experience for me that I wouldn't trade it for anything. Not to mention that you're now just set into motion potentially the next generation of advocates who are going to care about this place as much as I do Mm. all because they put a plant in the ground. That's a pretty cool experience. Agreed. I mean, uh, um, we talked about a little bit today again, you know, about how the next generation just inherently knows that we have to protect mother nature. I mean, Mm. um, and frankly, when I tell them about what's going on in the Everglades and I have an opportunity to educate children in South Florida because they're, they're close enough to the Everglades to, to experience it. And I tell them what's going on. They're they're angry mm-hmm. that that the generations before them, my generation, let it get to the point that it is. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you know, we, I again go back to that responsibility that we have as anglers, as as leaders in the industry, so to speak, that we have to you know set the right example. But more importantly, we have to give them the tools mm-hmm. to to be better than we were, to do the right thing, and to actually fix these places, save these places. Um, and uh, you know we. There's so many ways we can do that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one thing that changed my life and got me into, into doing this on a full-time basis is I just made a pact with myself that I was just going to say yes. And uh, that sounds simple, but it, it means yes means that, you know, when an organization like the Everglades Foundation or Catchers Clean Water or somebody called and needed somebody to speak or needed help at an event, it was just a yes. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if... I had something planned, if I had to be on the water, if I had to go to work, a yes means that I'm committed to, to doing something. And uh, it starts with just a simple thing like that. You know, when there's an opportunity to be the example, when there's an opportunity to do something right for the environment, opportunity to get involved, no matter how small it is, just say yes. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I think about it on like a few different levels, you know, and I mean, I think about it in my day-to-day life of, of what I'm, um, you know, how I'm spending my dollar, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing, how, you know, do I really need this? You know, um, you know, I think those are simple things that, that, you know, I just can make, make choices like that. And our choices are powerful because they're multiplied by 350 million Americans every day and mm-hmm. what we're consuming. And so, I mean, I think that's, and I think people that are listening to this might get involved on different levels and, or maybe not at all. And, and that's okay. You know, I mean, I think we just need this. We need people that are interested to, to jump in and there's an entry point at, at any mm-hmm. level. And so that's a very simple way to just engage, you know, on a day to day basis. And, from there, talking to your friends, you know, if this is something that interests you, educate yourself. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of cool stuff to learn and learn about what's happening in your area or changes that are happening in Lucas's area or Benny's area or Hunter's area. Um, and, you know, and from there, I mean, it goes up the line. If you're, if you're passionate and you're arming yourself with education, maybe you're starting to build advocates, mm-hmm. you know, which is a force multiplier. Then all of a sudden those people, you're going to, you're going to find one in 10 of those people might, might turn into another one of you that's mm-hmm. passionate that wants to go, you know, continue to make change. And, you know, and from there, I mean, it just continues to climb the ladder. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can be like Benny and, and, and Lucas and going to spending a lot of time in DC advocating on the Hill. I mean, which is such an incredible, powerful thing where the mm-hmm. decisions for our country are being made. Um, so, you know, I see it as really like there's, there's different, there's different levels and, and you might find yourself at that, at that top level where it becomes really important mm-hmm. to you. And I will tell you through my experiences, 
yes, this is all work that is, you're not getting paid for. I mean, you know, we're fishing guides, we're, you know, we're working hard in this, in this industry, nobody's getting rich by any means. And this is all work that we're doing that, you know, there's not a paycheck at the end of the tunnel for, but we're protecting what we love. We're protecting what we do. And for me, the intangible things that have come back from just getting engaged on this topic, like being able to sit in this room with these folks is, is you know is well well worth it mm -hmm. and being able to the clients that book me are interested in this stuff they want to learn and advocates are growing out of that mm -hmm. um, i'd say i'm more aligned with the clients that i fish than i ever have before just because of being involved in fisheries management stuff and climate change stuff it's just it's you know i'm, I'm kind of getting to fish with my people it makes mm -hmm. my job more enjoyable yeah but. there's there's a um, i have a very similar story in the sense that when this all started happening in my fishery in Florida Bay in 2015, we lost 50,000 acres of seagrass. And it's not something you can hide from your clients. Your clients are as intimately connected to that water as you are. And I'm, you know, that's one of the things I've been trying to educate the guides that I'm, that are around me about that simple fact, you know, yeah, the guides are on the water every single day. We're connected financially and spiritually to these places. And so we have this passion and want to fight, but the people right behind us are the people who are paying us to be on that water. And they, they have a vested interest already. Mm -hmm. And so I took it upon myself right away to start educating my clients. And like, just like you said, Kyle, they've become advocates right alongside me. Mm -hmm. They're the biggest supporters of these organizations. They speak up when we have a call to action, they send emails, they make calls. That's how you create change. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I use this example all the time. You know, when you, when you were a kid and you first learned two plus two is four, the first thing you did was go home and say, mommy, 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 you know what two plus two is? It's four. And so when you learn something new, when you find something that you're at, you're passionate about and, and you learn about it, the first thing you want to do is tell somebody. It's a multiplying factor. You tell someone, they tell 10 people, and then they tell 10 people. And that's how we make change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's how you have to see it. It's not a short-term race. It's not a sprint. It is, this is a long-term race. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll go back to what I just said before, which is at every opportunity mm -hmm. to educate anyone, whether it's by example or by actual you know, physical contact, you gotta do it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's your responsibility. And this goes kind of full circle with what Lucas was saying with storytelling. I read a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death by a guy, Neil Postman. He wrote it a long time ago. Incredibly prophetic book about what was happening with entertainment. And he was also talking about it's, it's not just, um, you know, what we watch, but the fact that we are watching. It's not just what we listen to, but it's the fact it's And one of the things he says in the book that's really interesting, um, and I really think it's like one of those books that like every person really should read. But he says to talk about it is to break the spell. That was one of the lines from the book. And I thought that was really good because uh, everybody is just watching TV and they're not thinking about how is this impacting me? How is this? And, and he lays out this really great kind of, uh, you know, argument just about n not necessarily that you don't watch TV. It's just you don't watch TV, not thinking about how is it shaping you. I think to what we're talking about today, the world is changing. The humans have a footprint. You know, we, you were just mentioning that um, decisions that are made at local, state, federal levels are going to change. You know, if we reroute water, if we pour too much asphalt if we there's so many things and when we talk about conservation and storytelling to talk about it is to break the spell that everything's fine and everything's okay one of the challenges that we have though is people just get tired of talking about it they just get tired of they feel beaten down about conservation they just keep being told that and then and it always seems like it's just keep less fish you know hunt less days and i think people get kind of tired. And so I'm kind of curious too, how do we do a better job of making it something that people actually want to hear about? That's, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> that's a million dollar question, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the million dollar question. And you know, the reality is there aren't a shortage of people who understand there's a shortage of willingness to make change. Hmm. Um, and I'll, and as a perfect example, I, I read today that there, on any given year, there's 1.2 million people who travel to fish in Louisiana every year. Wow. They, they account for nearly $3 billion in economic impact every year in this state. In the state of Florida, it's even more. 
it's 2 million people that visit the state of Florida every year to do some type of water-related activity. And the resulting economic impact is over $30 billion annually. There's no shortage of people who are experiencing the outdoors, and every single one of them has seen or witnessed that degradation. There's no way around it. Um, so the more we speak, the more we share the real science, the more we educate those people, the more they can relate it to what they've seen. And that's, and that's how you get more advocates. Mm-hmm. You don't get more advocates by shaking them and trying to wake them up, by giving them the information so they can realize it on, them, their, on, the, the, on their own. Um, and that's how you make advocates. And those are the most powerful ones because then they're connected and then they understand it themselves and then they become passionate advocates. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think to that end, it's, it's about meeting people where they are. It's about, it's about not preaching to people as much as it is understanding where they're coming from. You know, that, that's something that I've tried to employ as much as I can in the work that I do as an advocate is understanding that everyone has their level of, of engagement. Everyone has their level of understanding. And so it may be as much as taking it back to the first time that you thought about being an advocate or the first time that you got engaged or understanding that some people don't necessarily want to go as far, even in admitting certain things, but as long as they're willing to accept that something is different, then it's about finding that common ground and making sure that you move forward together. Mm-hmm. Because you're right. One of the things that's really hard about is like being an advocate and, and helping other people advocate is that the times in between doing something is when you lose them. Mm-hmm. So it's keeping them engaged is the hard part. Getting them engaged initially is not tough because when you're passionate and you really have that voice, people listen. The problem is that they want to do something. And so to your question is like, how do you get people more engaged? It's about understanding what's happening between what's happening, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. It's, it's about understanding what people can do while they're not doing something. And I think to what Benny and Kyle are saying, the answer is the understanding the different levels of opportunity. And so sometimes it's as much as having a conversation at a dinner party and making sure that other people understand. I know that when I go to to parties, or when I did before COVID, that you have a conversation with people you've known for 20 years, and you start talking about conservation, and they're gonna have a very different opinion about it, potentially, than you do. And so just having that engaging conversation with them and helping them to understand Mm -hmm. where you're coming from could be enough to keeping that advocate engaged beyond what's, like when the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important, is that you can get people to understand it's keeping them going is really the harder part. And to, to me, I think it's about that, that differing levels of engagement and being willing to meet them where they are. And I think, you know, as we're, you know, there are some folks that are just kind of tired of, 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 of hearing about, you know, these issues and that it's too negative. But, you know, I mean, I think the alternative is we sit back and we lose a lot of really cool things. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's just not, you know, it's just not an, it's just not an option, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think a lot about it is like how we communicate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be this pending doomsday. Everything's negative. Like, let's just dig in and do the work. Maybe we're going to lose some stuff and maybe we're going to gain some stuff and we're going to have to be okay with that one way or another. You know, we've kind of at this point, there's a certain part of our fate that is sealed with, mm-hmm. with some of the history that's been made, but let's, you know, let's just all move forward optimistically and do what we can and, uh, and just try, try and secure yeah. as much, much of the good stuff as we can. And know? I think try to try to help other people, you know, kind of help open their eyes to it. You know, we were talking cause you're a, a striper guide and we have uh, some stripers in a, a ba- in a, in a big pond and lake, uh, near me. And when I was in high school, I remember a guy, kind of older guy kind of took me along. He said, all right, let me, let me show you. And he showed, uh, me and uh, a couple others, how he catches these shad and how, how we go to a certain spot. And he kind of taught us how to striper fish in, in our context. And I remember as you know, uh, probably most people at this table, when you're young and you're first like learning and figuring something out, that was one of the first few little fish kind of scenarios where I felt like, wow, I really understand what's happening here. Here's the fish. This is when they're going to come here. This is why they're going to come there. And I began to take much more interest. And I think one of the things is that, that we've seen play out kind of, I know this has been true in my life is as when people experience the outdoors, they want to master it. They want to, you know, be a good angler, a good hunter, a good hiker, skier, etc. And so if we can see people who are kind of in the limelight or you know, involved in trying to 
write articles and podcasts and television shows. I think that's one of the ways too to say if you really want to understand the outdoors and you need to also understand the theater that all this is taking place in and how to protect it. I'm curious kind of as we close out, I'd love to hear just about how each of you, uh, what in your life led you to want to be an advocate for, for the outdoors? Well, that's, that's easy for me. I mean, it was just the glades, you know, it's, it, I found it in a point in my life when I needed to find something and it showed me who I was. And, um, when you make, you know, a visceral connection to something, then it's easy to stand up and fight for it. Um, but I made the fatal mistake, not the fatal mistake, but a, a big mistake, you know, like everyone has in their life and thinking that it's going to be there forever and that somebody else is fighting for it. Somebody else is speaking up and, mm. you know, Benny's fighting for it. So we're good. And that's just not good enough. And uh, in 2015, that was, you know, black and white evident to me. Uh, I went to my first couple local government meetings after we had the big grass die off. I mean, and um, I was blown away that no one in those meetings was saying anything about it. And when I said something, no one knew about it. And it, you know, I was angry that no one was fighting for it, but then I was also angry about my, for myself. Angry myself for not recognizing and speaking up sooner. So mm. when you have that kind of connection to something and you realize that you are the voice, we are the voice of the water around us. We are the voice for these wild places. No one else is gonna fight for it like we are. When you realize, when you really realize that, then there's no other option. You know, you, you can't go about your business and make your living on the water and take and not give back. You can't. And so I think that's part of the responsibility here is to, is to help everyone come to that realization that we are the voice. We, we are the only way that those places are going to see, you know, future restoration. Um, and Mother Nature gives us those clues every time we look hmm. we you know we had that big grass die off in 2015 and it was very two very difficult years in the everglades um, we lost a lot of clients people who come here from all over the planet to you know for a week to fish and they had dirty water and hard site fishing conditions and they just moved their operations to bahamas or mexico or you know someplace else that cost them the same and they could site fish hmm. and that wasn't available here and that was a huge wake-up call for us but in 2017 Hurricane Irma came through and mother nature dumped a bunch of fresh water in the state of Florida, basically replicating what Everglades restoration sh is going to be. Mm -hmm. And we had the, the best year of spawning aggregate for snook, redfish and trout that I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And 2018 was maybe the best fishing year we've had in 30 years. Mother nature saying, yo, if you give me the water that I'm supposed to get, mm -hmm. this is what's going to happen. We had COVID last year and nobody was driving cars and nobody was flying planes and the skies were clean and water was clean and fish were acting right and the animals were acting. Mother Nature shows us all the time if you look that if we do the right things and we start giving her a little bit of help that she'll, not only will she bounce back, she'll blow us away with what's possible. Mm. And so, uh, A, if you... Understand that connection to the, the place that you love. If you understand that you are the voice and you pay attention to Mother Nature, then there's just one thing to do, and that's to stand up and speak up. Yeah, for me, uh, while I'm not a scientist by trade, I've always considered myself to have a scientific mind, and so facts are, are important to me. And oh, but I thought you were Freud. <laughs> I thought you were spiritual. Look, philosophical. A man can be a number of things. Philosophical, as long as, spiritual. As long as, as long as you don't pay attention to the last thing I said. <laughs> <laughs> so, scientific brain, while being philosophical and spiritual. Um, a jack of many trades and a master of none. Um, anyway, one of the things that really struck me as odd is there was there's this fish here in, in the Gulf of Mexico called a red snapper. And people love to fight over this fish, the red snapper. And I started paying attention to this stuff about five years ago. And when I saw what people were using as an argument to extract more, to give less back to the, to the ocean, to undermine science, it really bothered me. And it, it got me inspired to do something. Little did I know that that was going to take me on an entirely new journey 
I'm glad it did. But that was the pivotal moment for me is watching people use a fishery to exploit the ocean, to exploit the people who cared about it, to exploit everything that I held dear as a steward of the environment. And it, it just inspired me immediately to get involved, to speak up, like Benny said, to start teaching people, to tell anyone who would listen that we can't go about this and not let science lead the way. Science doesn't have an agenda. Science seeks the truth. And if it doesn't find it, it goes somewhere else and it looks. That's the beauty of science. Data doesn't have an agenda. Data simply is data. Science is simply science. If it tells you what you don't want to hear, it's still science. And a lot of people mistake that, especially here in this state in the Gulf of Mexico. And so I got involved immediately. And from there, it just went, I went crazy. My wife will tell you that I can't do anything half-assed. So I went all, all in for, for advocating. And from there, it was just protection, protection, protection. What can I do? And so that's been my journey to this point. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I love hearing other people's stories on that. And, you know, mine was, mine was different. It's unique, just like everybody's is going to be. And, um, I just, I I just knew, I can't remember what the age was. I think I was in high school, but I just, I knew there was going to be a moment where I was going to be giving back, you know, and I was always, always have had this connection to fishing. I grew up in Maryland in the Chesapeake Bay and I could, I could walk down and, you know, with a bottom rig and put a couple grass shrimp on and literally catch, you know, white perch, yellow perch, striped bass, you know, catfish, Mm -hmm. uh, pickerel. We were in this magical brackish water that just had maybe 20 species in it. And, you know, I always knew and and it felt incredibly plentiful and bountiful. And and even the water quality in the bay was not great at that, uh, you know, when I was growing up. Um, But, you know, I just always knew I was going to, I was, I wanted to put the time in. you know, and there was moments in college, it just, I just didn't, I didn't feel like I had the time. It just mm. didn't feel like it was the right moment for me, um, you know, and, and it got to a point where I've become, you know, a career fishing guide and, and I, I want to be in this industry every day of my life. And, uh, and it just kind of all clicked into place, you know, a passion for wanting to, to give back to, to what I love. And, um, yeah. Yeah, that, I, I, I agree. That's it. That's it. The yeah just sums it up. That's like, yeah. like That's right. yeah. I understand that. Yeah, comma, yeah, <laughs> yeah comma, yeah, done. <laughs> well, you know, it's you know something that you said. I think it's it's good to hear each other's stories, and I think that's you know that circles back to what you said. Storytelling, you know, it's it's an important. Everybody's going to look a little bit different. We, you know, we don't need to sit around and worry about who's better. We need to worry about how do we work together. You know, right now we're sitting at a large picnic table. Uh, that all of us helped move in here. You know, the old saying, many hands make light work. You know, the preach production guys were really struggling trying to move it themselves. (laughs) You know, they, they were, they were uh, having a hard time and we came over and helped them. Right. But, you know, I mean, that's, you know, we all know that many hands makes light work. And I think it's true with these issues that we're talking about. And I think part of why people get so tired of hearing about it is because just a handful of people are the ones speaking about it and that annoys them. Well, you know, if more people were speaking about it, then, you know, you wouldn't be so annoyed at the individuals who are actually talking. And I think that's a piece, like if we can all just share our stories and appreciate the environments that we're in, then I think that it will make a a huge difference. We're seeing more companies step up on this. We're seeing more uh, captains. We're seeing more people involved in the media side of this, this whole thing. Uh, And I'm encouraged by where it's going. I've had a great time with you guys, had a lot of fun here in Louisiana, lots of good food, good fish. Uh, Any closing thoughts as we wrap it up? You know, one thing that just jumps out is, you know, you mentioned brands and other other leaders is, you know, that's just I'm loving seeing more brands jump in. And I just, you know, anybody working for a company, anybody that's leading a company, you know, this Mm -hmm. is the time to step in, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if, if, you know, you're in the business of of purveying the goods for the outdoors, you know, um, we're all slinging fun here and let's, let's, let's keep, let's keep protecting it so we can keep doing it. Uh, to, to, to continue on that, that idea, I think it's, I think it's the responsibility of the ambassadors of those companies to hold them accountable. I think it's time that, you know, any industry that revolves around using, utilizing a resource, they have to do their part. 
They got to do their part. Mm-hmm. And it can't just be Costa Sunglasses in the marine industry. It's got to be every single company. Mm-hmm. And it starts with us holding them accountable. And I've started holding my peers accountable. Um, the other hosts with their TV shows, um, other boat companies, you know, other engine companies. And, um, you know, and again, no, no, no level of, of involvement is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. But something has to be done by everyone. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, again, it goes back to everybody's got a different voice and maybe, you know, an ambassador somewhere's voice is to hold their companies accountable and get them involved. And, um, you know, seeing the industry respond to us starting to speak up, to us having these conversations, to us starting to hold them accountable is, is huge. I mean, that's, that, that might be the, the game changer that we've been waiting for for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's, it's about passion, but it's also about money. And, and, the, and, the comp- and the industry has money. And companies have money, and they need to ha- spend more money every year to make sure that, that, that situations like this happen more. Um, I would love to see every TV show talk about conservation at some point in the show. I'd love to see every podcast have some element of conversa- uh, conservation or advocacy. Um, then we might see some real change, you know, so it's, but it starts with us holding them accountable. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that we're talking about here is a cultural shift, right? I mean, that's ultimately what we're talking about. We're talking about changing people from their core out. I think really a, a cool example of that is bass fishing. And I think that that to me is very encouraging. Talk about brands, you talk about ambassadors. Look at what bass fishing has done over the last 30 years. They have made a significant change in the way that people look at a bass. A bass went from a trash fish to a prized possession that people think is cool to let go now. You know, you took something that was never catch and release and you made it catch and release. And that was by brands with ambassadors holding people accountable and making something like catch and release cool. And that to me is what is encouraging because that's what I'm starting to see. It used to be that we had to beg our brands to help. Now they're calling us asking what they can do. And that change is a cultural shift from the top down that's gonna make the difference for us. And that's what's gonna give us the encouragement we need to keep going. And it's what's gonna you know, let people stand for something even with the way they spend their money. Well, I agree. We, we really were able to cover some good ground, guys. Thank you so much for taking some time tonight after a long day on the water. And a really big meal. Uh, I think we're all about ready to call it a night. Uh, but I'm grateful just to be able to sit down with you guys and uh, have a friendship with you guys. And it's it's really cool to see people from you know really all across our our country come together and have these conversations. So looking forward to seeing the episode come out soon. And thank you guys for being on. Yeah, thanks for lending. Thanks your, for having us. Thank you, Hunter. Thanks for lending your platform. Hunter it means a big. It's a big thing. Huge thing. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective.